0: the EVP Group podcast on disinformation. We've done a number of them so far, and uh, this time we're looking at the interference uh, threat, malicious attacks on the EU from the outside world. One thing that comes to mind, for instance, is the the Pegasus spyware, right? Uh, Intelligence activities uh, aimed at the EU by China and Russia. Um, The U.S. is taking a tougher stance uh, towards China, uh, and the European Parliament Special Committee is drafting policy recommendations, so that's very important. We want to talk about that uh, with Vlado Bilcik, who is on that committee. Vlado, you are a Slovak uh, member of the European Parliament, here in the European Parliament. Uh, You are also the EPP group spokesman on the Special Committee on Disinformation and on the uh, LIBE Committee, that's the Civil Liberties, Justice and Home Affairs. And also joining us is Monica Richter, your head of research and analysis at Semantic-Visions.com. Uh, you, you run a cross-language early warning system to protect clients from threats. You are also a former expert, Russia expert, uh, at the EEAS, that's the European External Action Service. Um, let me start with something that, that can—it just—it has to do with us all. Your cell phone. How much is your cell phone in danger of of being hacked? Um, The smartphone surveillance issue, how much should I be worried? How much should you be worried, Vlado?
1: Well, this is uh, a question uh, we have been asking in our committee. Um, And also we actually have been asking this question already um, in uh, the plenary of the European Parliament. Um, We have the well-known Pegasus scandal. Uh, and revelations which have come through um, from various credible sources uh, that indeed uh, uh, this uh, um, is um, a a real threat when it comes to the usage of uh, cell phones. Um, That is to say, there is uh, a spyware, uh, which can get into your phone uh, and collect uh, all sorts of data, including your conversation, including your pictures, uh, including uh, just about anything that you have inside uh, your cellular yeah. phone, and, inside and, your and mobile. And, and, and this is this is a huge issue for anybody, for journalists, for politicians, for the public. So uh, we, I guess, the, the one issue which I would say we are asking the commission to investigate this very, very thoroughly so we know what the issue is. And, of course, this cannot uh, continue at a large scale.
0: Yeah, because... People mention Pegasus, but I guess there are potentially
1: others, right? It's not just that one. Exactly. We know about Pegasus because it's been well-researched, reported on. Uh, we also know that this is an issue in one particular member state, um, mm-hmm. Hungary, namely. Okay. Uh, we discuss uh, this issue, and, and, and I think we really need to follow up on this, uh, have a thorough, proper investigation of what the problem is, because we need to protect our own work. You know, If I know that my cell phone is not safe, uh, I will simply not uh, share anything via that cell phone. Uh, it becomes meaningless, uh, yeah. and, and, and we want to have meaningful technological devices, so we need to protect them.
0: Exactly, and that's what your disinformation uh, committee is, uh, special committee is, is looking at here in the European Parliament. Now let's widen this also to, to Microsoft, um, uh, servers, Exchange servers. Uh, uh, this is uh, quite an issue, isn't it, Monica? Uh, this this hacking for hire.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean um, the Microsoft Exchange hack. Um, obviously, you know. Um, um, has global ramifications that really, um, um, you know, shook the world. Um, I mean, what I'd say, right, is that throughout most of human history, technological innovation was pushed by governments and states and then trickled down to the public um, or private sector. Um, But only recently has that flipped around. Now it is the private sector um, that is leading innovation and is um, increasingly developing sophisticated tools um, across a number of industries that exceed the capabilities of states. Right. Um, and then states are buying these from from the private sector. Um, and, I mean, the NSO group, which is behind Pegasus, um, uh, I mean, is a great example of that. Um, you know, this, this inversion of that relationship creates a significant opportunity for um, abuse and misuse. Um, the access as a service industry... Um, again, of which the NSO group is a prime example, um, it's it's a poorly regulated wild West of offensive cyber capabilities. Um, Poor, and poorly these, these
0: regulated things, wild West. Now it's it, for those who don't know, NSO is based in Israel, but it's bought by different governments, right? Um, uh, how much more can you talk about what what governments, what what are governments are involved in in hacking into Microsoft Exchange servers?
2: Well, so in the Microsoft Exchange case, I mean, that was, um, uh, that was primarily China. Um, um, I mean, what we've heard is that enormous quantities of, of data um, have been uh, gathered about Americans in particular, um, um, effectively creating a massive database um, that includes uh, the actual email um, uh, of who are the uh, Exchange server administrators.
1: Right. So, um, and yeah. I mean,
2: part of a grander Chinese plan um, to really develop um, world-class AI. This is a, a national priority um, that can be likened, you know, to America's race to the moon. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's um, it's all about amassing um, information at unprecedented scale.
0: Then, Vlado, okay, so, so our cell phones could be uh, at risk. Our emails could be at risk. Um, how much of this, in your mind, is, and, and, and you come from an Easter, East European country that, uh, in Slovakia, that, that uh, for a long time was, was under communist rule and, and there was a lot of compromised uh, civil rights there. How much of this is a threat to freedom of opinion, to the media, and privacy?
1: Well, I'd like to think of uh, myself as a century European, uh, and uh, um, I, I think uh, we've faced a lot of challenges when it comes to freedom of speech across century Europe. Um, and uh, I think uh, thanks to uh, the big change after 1989 and thanks to our return to Europe and, and being part of the larger European project, uh, we are much better protected. But yes, we are being being challenged constantly, and, and I just uh, FIND IT EXTREMELY, EXTREMELY uh, POTENTIALLY DANGEROUS AND HARMFUL uh, TO uh, OUR WORK AS POLITICIANS, um, uh, BUT ALSO WORK OF uh, PEOPLE LIKE YOURSELF OR JOURNALISTS, uh, yeah. BUT JUST ABOUT ANYBODY ELSE, IF uh, OUR DEVICE IS, is BEING TRACKED. Uh, BECAUSE THIS IS INDEED WHAT USED TO HAPPEN BEFORE 1989 ON THE on my side of the iron curtain uh when uh you know uh, you you had to uh uh keep silent in in an apartment uh if you wanted to uh speak of uh, anything which uh, was potentially dangerous because yeah. you never knew if anybody would be listening in now this way you don't know if anybody's listening into your to your uh, yep. cellular phone yeah. and, and i just i just find that uh Uh, Very, very threatening uh, to uh, our work, but also to freedom of speech in general. Uh, It jeopardizes the freedom and independence of uh, journalists, for instance. Um, Yeah. Yes.
0: Okay, then, I mean, that sounds like a no-brainer. We should just ban this commercial surveillance software. But what about the argument that some governments need that to fight terrorism or, you know, for for law enforcement? Where, Where do you draw the line?
1: I think we need two things. Um, uh, one is we need to have very clear rules, um, but we also need um, uh, a real uh, working, functioning technologies to enforce those rules. Uh, so I, I understand that uh, there are people who threaten our way of life and we need to have ways how we can track them down. Uh, What we need to do is to protect uh, against the misuse of this, uh, against uh, just about anybody, uh, because that is uh, malicious, it's dangerous, it's lethal. Um, And uh, I think here we not only need rules. What we've realized, um, especially following the Pegasus scandal, is uh, the technological edge. We need to have rules and the power to enforce those rules, and that means huge investment in in, uh, proper technologies. All right,
0: rules, rules. If the EU sets the rules in this Wild West of the internet, how do you enforce that? As you know, Monica was saying, it's a wild west out there. How do you enforce it around the world?
1: Well, you need to start uh, by setting the example and setting the standards in- inside the European Union. Um, I think a rule of law um, uh, is uh, one of the fundamental bases of the European project. Um, so is the freedom of speech, um, independence of, of media, um, and we need to protect uh, this, this way of life. So we need uh, common basic rules across all member states. Uh, if they are misused, we need proper investigation. But I think what we are also uh, in dire need of uh, is proper technology uh, to to make sure that uh, software such as the ones which could help us track the terrorists are not is used uh, to track uh, hmm. politicians, journalists, or enemies of a government.
0: Right. Uh, Monica, you might want to talk a little bit about that, but let me also ask you uh, about uh, what's called APT groups, right? Advanced Persistent Threat, APT, uh, groups uh, that, for instance, uh, Chinese economic espionage, uh, APT31, which is caused called uh, Zirconium, or APT-41 is called dubbed uh, Double Dragon or Wicked Panda. What can you tell us about that?
2: Um, well, I mean, these are elite units um, that, that specialize in um, cyber espionage and they are part of the broader um, hybrid threat playbook um, that are increasingly used by authoritarian regimes against, um, against democracies. Um, the Russian Fancy Bear um, APT group is another great example of that. Mm. Um, and um, we, uh, as the European Union, uh, have been um, um, very bad at addressing um, these these um, growing threats sort of in our focus um, on uh, disinformation as the only dimension uh, of, of foreign influence. I think that is a, a longstanding kind of conceptual problem um, within um, the European Commission, the EEAS, where I worked,
0: um, Vlada, what what policy changes should the EU do at this point towards China, Russia, and others? Uh, uh, EC uh, European Commission President uh, von der Leyen uh, w- was she right in calling for a more robust stance?
1: Well, I I, I did appreciate very much uh, um, uh, the mention in uh, her speech on the State of the Union that uh, we need to focus on cybersecurity a lot more. We need to invest uh, political and financial and strategic capital in cybersecurity. That's where uh, those uh, outside of Europe who want to undermine our way of life are getting uh, the upper hand and the upper edge in a number of areas. This is one example. And I think uh, we can only defend ourselves uh, if uh, we have uh, the proper organization, proper technologies uh, and proper focus and proper strategy to counter these measures. So we need to take them extremely seriously. Mm. I think they should be an integral part of our uh, policy towards China, towards Russia, towards others. And I think we need to also work very closely with uh, our allies in the West. Uh, Mm. We want to have a rules-based West, not a wild West, uh, which globally overcomes Uh, uh, the international relations, and that's why I think uh, the U.S., but also others uh, who are allies uh, beyond the EU in NATO, should be our partners in this. This is uh, a Mm. wider uh, security challenge, and I think we need to confront it as such.
0: Right. So you mean, you're talking kind of both, I think, on, on counterintelligence and more protection. What's what's the balance I, here, Absolutely. Uh, Look, I mean, yeah.
1: uh, the the other thing which which Ursula von der Leyen mentioned in in her uh, State of the Union speech was um, not just cybersecurity, but also we need to be serious about uh, a. Uh um, a, 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 a greater uh, information uh, and intelligence sharing uh, across the EU and especially a situation room which we need to establish in the EU institutions. So okay. we need to have a uh, much greater sense and clarity of who is attacking us also in uh, mm. cyberspace uh, from the outside so we can collectively react. Uh, we are lacking these resources. Uh, and unless we get them, uh, I think it's it's going mm. to be uh, tough to talk about any effective rules. So, I I think we need to invest in in technologies and resources and organization here.
0: Monica, would you like to comment on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I fully agree um, with what Vlado said. Um, I mean, we need both counterintelligence and more protection, and it would be a mistake to view them as mutually exclusive. Um, For example, one thing that would be great um, is if the um, European national intelligence agencies increased transparency about Russian and Chinese malign activities. Uh, for instance, in detailed annual reports, the Baltic states are already doing this. They're leading the way. Um, it's one great way to educate the public.
0: Okay, can I, uh, Monica? Can I shift a bit to to migration as an interference and disinformation weapon, like what Belarus is doing, sending migrants to the EU border? Um, would you like to talk about that?
2: Yeah. So at Semantic Visions, my team is actually um, monitoring the situation right now. We've been working on it since midsummer. Uh, specifically focusing on on local information sharing about the migration route from Belarus into the EU on Arabic and Kurdish social media. Um, so the first thing, which should be obvious, but perhaps it's not, is that this scheme wasn't masterminded alone by the Lukashenko regime, mm. uh, but with the Kremlin's help. Uh, intelligence officials confirmed this. Um, mm. And secondly, of course, this case... I would say perfectly exemplifies the multifaceted nature of foreign subversion operations. Yep. Uh, when you're not bound by any rules, the opportunities for creative disruption are endless.
0: So, how to deal with uh, that? So not only, um, <laughs> uh-huh. Well, there are
2: uh, there are a lot of ways. I mean, can I elaborate more on the Belarus? Uh,
0: briefly. Briefly, yes.
2: Okay. Um so I mean not only is the Lukashenko regime facilitating the crisis by bringing migrants over from Iraq and elsewhere um and granting them visas but then they also launched a disinformation campaign alleging that Lithuania and the EU are violating human rights and physically abusing migrants while Belarusian border guards are supposedly helping them and tending to their to their injuries and yeah. the Belarusian government released several videos to this effect which actually went quite viral um, even on Arabic-language social media. Mm. Um, and this problem is persisting, the provision of Belarusian visas and official um, travel invitations, despite the Iraqi flight ban and EU diplomatic efforts. Um, Lukashenko is saying that he has neither the money nor energy to do anything about this, thanks to European sanctions.
0: Yeah, it's all spin control. Vlado, I see you see you nodding. I mean, it's how do you address each thing like that? It's like whack-a-mole, isn't it?
1: No, I, look, I think uh, the uh, the the best thing that could happen to Lukashenko is that if we all get a feeling, you know, this is too much, uh, it's too complicated, we can't deal with it, I think we need to be very clear. Uh, what Lukashenko is doing is absolutely, absolutely unacceptable, politically, morally, uh, it's inhumane. And, and I think we need to uh, be very, very tough uh, with him. I mean, one way to deal with this, of course, is uh, we have the sanctions against his regime. We can hit him hard if the sanctions are targeted and they target um, his economic and financial infrastructure. And I think uh, we could, uh, in the European Union, introduce a measure um, uh, whereby uh, we tie uh, the intensity of these sanctions uh, to, say, the number of uh, people who are... Uh, in this way, misused uh, for his political purposes. So, the more uh, uh, he uh, he basically brings these people uh, across the border, the more we push on the sanctions. I think that would be a good okay. countermeasure, and it's one example where I think Europe uh, could have a very clear response.
0: Okay. And um, uh, what about uh, what about uh, on from the uh, special committee on disinformation? What action
1: should be taken there? What action should be proposed? Well, I think. Uh, uh, with, uh, we, we will be discussing a lot, especially this fall, um, the um, uh, whole issue of how uh, external powers interfere in our democracy. Uh, we've spent a lot of time discussing uh, online cyber attacks, but clearly, uh, this is uh, a very tangible interference. And we need to also take that into account. And we need to uh, talk very seriously about how we can be more effective at applying countermeasures through, Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, joint sanctions. We are uh, an economic and financial powerhouse. Uh, And that is our strength. uh, If we use it collectively, effectively, in a targeted way and quickly. And we can deter these sorts of uh, tragic actions uh, that Lukashenko is doing uh, with uh, people who are, in many cases, running for, for their lives and are willing to do just about anything. Yeah,
0: that's this is it, this uh, the Belarus case is is a typical case where the EU is kind of caught on its back foot, and and how do we address these threats, these issues, and come out stronger, Monica? What do you think?
2: Well, it's not the first time that we're caught on our back foot. I mean, far from it. Um, from my experience, there is a persistent failure within the EU institutions. I would say, excluding Parliament.
0: You saw that from the inside um, as an expert for the EAS, right?
2: Yes, that's correct, yes. Um, and so there is this persistent failure both within the EU institutions, the Commission, the EEAS, as well as certain national capitals to first of all recognize the scope of the threat, let alone take adequate action in response. And when I say the scope of the threat, I'm referring to the global authoritarian challenge to democracy. This, in my view, is the defining existential conflict of the 21st century. Um, It it already is going in that direction, we're seeing it now, the writing has been on the wall for many years, if you knew where to look, but too many European and Western leaders have chosen not to. One of the things that frustrated me during my time at the EEAS is, as I mentioned, this outsized focus on disinformation, and exclusively the Kremlin's disinformation so far, at the expense of a broader and deeper understanding of the authoritarian influence threat of which disinformation Mm. is just one part. And this creates two problems. Um, First, it limits holistic understanding and education about the threat landscape. So we tend to isolate the different elements um, like disinfo or cyber or foreign policy, financial penetration, corruption, and look for individual solutions to those problem areas. But our adversaries, on the other hand, deploy these elements in a synchronized and strategic way to advance mm. certain strategic goals vis-a-vis Europe. Yeah, yeah. Um, And second, focus on disinformation allows for a political treatment of the problem, um, what my superiors at the EEAS liked to call a, quote, actor agnostic approach to disinformation. Mm. So this leads to an emphasis on tech regulation as a means of mitigating digital information disorder, which is absolutely necessary as well but it is also important to focus on adversarial disinformation by Russia, China, and others, specifically as a means of political warfare that requires political deterrence and imposition of costs.
0: Vlado, uh, how do you answer that? That's kind of a call to action. She's throwing down the gauntlet uh, to, to people like you here in the European Parliament. What uh, Where do we go look, from uh, here? You got the last word.
1: Look, um, um, I, I think um, it is uh, really... Um, highest time uh, to take action, to take common European action when it comes to fighting this information. Uh, We've been calling on this in our committee. I think we have a number of opportunities. Uh, We are discussing the Digital Services Act and I think we can pass on a much greater responsibility uh, to uh, the platforms. uh, So they are not the vehicles for the spread of uh, manipulative uh, disinformation campaigns, such as the ones we see coming from Russia. That means uh, we need to pay a lot more attention to what happens online, not just in English language, but also in a number of local languages in uh, the mm-hmm. member states uh, across the EU, the smaller ones. Uh, this is extremely important. And, and, and uh, also, we need to really uh, make sure that all the other ensuing steps, uh, which we expect in the context of uh, um, uh, European Democracy Action Plan, really focus on the fight against this information. Let me put it this way. The bottom line is uh, just educating people uh, about the Internet is not going to cut it. It yeah. is not enough. We do need cruel rules. We do need uh, a good level of re- uh, regulation which fights against these uh, malicious campaigns uh, coming from Russia, coming from China. Uh, otherwise, indeed, our democracy may crumble.
0: Vlado, thank you so much. Thank you also to Monica for joining us on the CPP Group uh, podcast. Uh, Follow us, follow the EPP Group on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at EPP Group. I'm Chris Burns. Thanks for watching, and see you next time.